This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. Our colleague Noel is not with us today, but will be returning shortly. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our guest super producer, Max Maximum Williams. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. Folks, if you happen to be from a small town, or if you ever lived in a small town, then you know secrets function differently. There are a lot of open secrets, I would say, in a small town where everybody knows everybody else's business to some degree. In today's episode, Matt, you and I are exploring a strange case of secrecy, harassment, and honest-to-gosh conspiracy in a town that might be similar to uh, the, the towns in which a lot of our fellow listeners reside. Our question today, something that we both rabbit-holed on pretty hard, what on earth are the Circleville letters? <laughs> They're confusing. They're uh, confounding. They are cavernous. It's it's a it's a lot, and it's uh, it's an awesome story. So we can't wait to share it with you. We're just still working through like everything. It's a lot. I, I can't stress that enough. <laughs> yeah, and a, a lot of the work on this case uh, goes to an amazing journalist, Martin Yant. Here are the facts. Circleville, Ohio. Uh, if you are not from Ohio, you may not have heard of this place. If you've no. never watched Unsolved Mysteries, you've never heard of this place. If you are not from the U.S., you have certainly never heard of Circleville, Ohio. No. If you're from a big city in Ohio, you probably don't know about Circleville, Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> Just so, yeah. It's now this is not this is not us dunking on this no. town. Yeah. It's it's the county seat of Pickaway County, Ohio, which is uh south of Columbus. It's about 25 miles south. 
And the population as of 2020, about two years ago, was just just a hair under 14,000. So it's not a huge town. Uh, but it, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily a tiny isolated hermitage either. No. Uh, well, well, let's get into the history of Circleville. Some of my favorite stuff in this episode is going to come right now. Here it comes. Just prepare yourselves. (laughs) Um, I'm so ready. Yeah, I'll I'll set I'll set you up here, Ben. No, so no, no, the, no, we, we gotta. Oh gosh, <laughs> who, who who is gonna have to do it, Matt? All right, okay, no, you. It's you, you dude. It's you. Come no, on, it's, it's you. you. It's gonna be you. Uh, <laughs> um, so the 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 town was founded uh, way back when in the 1800s, and it got its name in 1810, Circleville, because guess what, guys? It was formed. As a circle. It began as a circle, so it became Circleville. Yeah, sort of a ville of circles. Mm-hmm. If we're overthinking it, yeah. Uh, this is a uh, this circular layout was building upon ancient native fortifications uh, that are associated with something called the Hopewell tradition, which is um, it's not a single community. It's an archaeological era that flourished between... Let's see, right now, uh, the best estimates are 100 BCE to 500 CE. So very, very, very old. And the town, uh, when when Europeans arrived uh, and founded the town, they built upon these fortifications. Eventually, the town decides to go to... Um, a more common grid pattern, but you can still see photographs of the original layout of Circleville. And just like you described, Matt, it's a series of concentric circles, which I think is, seems cool, but you know, we were not, we weren't in the meeting. Yeah. Yeah. It seems really cool. It doesn't, it's probably not great for cars, right? For, for traffic. When you've got cars on a road, you need, you need more of those straight lines, which is why the grid is so dang popular. It's also the straight lines are really great for running, you know, electricity and other utilities like water. Mm. Yeah, it's a good point. And, uh, the name Circleville stuck around, right? And uh, there's a weird note here. Yep. <laughs> if you if you go to Circleville, uh, and we have not personally visited, but um, if you go to Circleville, you will see uh, a weird thing that happens with a lot of towns, a lot of cities, even uh, like here in Atlanta. Uh, one of the ongoing jokes is that there are a ton of streets, or there are many streets that are some iteration of peach tree all one word you want a peach tree avenue we got it you want a peach tree street we got it west peach tree got your back uh peach tree we got battle. North, we got northwest northeast southwest southeast versions of all of them <laughs> all of them and so uh so circleville ohio this has nothing to do with the story but circleville ohio has their own equivalent of peach tree doesn't it it does it's a different name uh, it's not, you know, it's not a tree. It's not a piece of flora or even fauna. Uh, it's a, it's a proper name. It's a, it's a proper noun. Uh, it's and it's be one, you, man. uh, if you look around Circleville plastered on streets and other things all over the place, you will see the name Hitler everywhere. And they're not big fans. It's not like, you know, the town is just a big fan of this guy that lived back in the day who did some really messed up stuff. No, it's it's just a it's just a proper name. Hitler. Yeah. Hubert Hitler Road, Hitler Pond, Hitler Park. Uh, There's a Hitler Ludwig Cemetery. I think there are several other roads that have some derivation of Hitler. And, you know, Matt, I love that you're pointing out. These names were part of the town well before World War II, well before Adolf Hitler's rise to power and all the uh, evil, unclean things that guy is responsible for. Uh, They are actually named after a longstanding influential family in the old days of the town, uh, the, the Hitler family. And they're primarily named in honor of a single patriarch, 
a dentist. Yes, Ben. Dr. Gay Hitler. Yes, Matt. Dr. Gay Hitler. That's the real name. And other things we did not think we would say on air in the course <laughs> of our but we have, strange endeavor. We have to reiterate, that is a real name. That you, that uh, ben, real there name. is a website you found. I'm going to make sure I'm going to it right now to just recheck. Dr. Gay Hitler is a real thing. Okay, yes. Yep, you can learn more about this at the Circleville Herald. Hitler's were County Pioneers by Darlene Weaver. Uh, this is this is a true fact. Uh, we don't know if our super producer Max is uh, is laughing. We, we don't know what Max is doing here, but yes. Well, no, Doctor uh, uh, Doctor Hitler turned, did a great job. Oh, there he goes. <laughs> Max turned on his camera briefly as we were recording and gave us like a uh, consideration, not just a just a check in and say, "I see you." So yeah, Doctor Gay Hitler, big deal in Circleville, Ohio. Nothing to do with the story. Nope. But gosh, how weird is history uh, nowadays? Circleville is most famous for two things, neither of which are Dr. Gay Hitler. Uh, the, the first thing it's famous for is an annual pumpkin festival, which is a heck of a time. It's early October. So as you're hearing this, if you're in the area, why not swing by? Uh, this pumpkin festival dates back to like 1903. It's a pretty cool thing. No word yet on whether or not they've incorporated Chunkin into the pumpkin festival. Oh, wow. That's a deep cut. <laughs> think they've got a trebuchet. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, all right. But there's another reason, right, Matt, that uh, people have heard of Circleville, Ohio, and it's much less wholesome than our gay Hitler jokes. Yeah, very much so. Uh, the reason why we're making this episode is because there is a thing called the, quote, Circleville Letters. It's a series of letters in the 1970s and 80s. I think I can't remember if it stretches in the 90s or not. I know 70s and 80s when most of the letters were written. These are threatening letters. Uh, these are anonymous letters, handwritten and they were sent to a variety of people, many, many people. And it should also have a little like addendum to the Circleville letters. And it should say, and also signs, because we're also going to talk about a bunch of road signs or like uh, put together, quickly put together cardboard signs. Yeah. The story starts really with a local school bus driver named Mary Gillespie. And in 1977, Mary begins receiving these anonymous letters. The only specific identification she has is the postmark, which indicates these letters were sent from Columbus, Ohio. These were not your average junk mail. Instead, they seemed to know a lot about Mary's private life. Private, not, as, not just as in like, uh, you know, my birthday or my social security or number or something private as in secrets that you wouldn't want anyone else to know. They accuse Mary of having an affair with a guy named Gordon Massey, who is the local school superintendent. And Mary, uh, we'll get to her perspective in a second. Mary's freaked out, obviously, and things only get worse. Because her husband, Ron, starts receiving letters as well, which appear to, if not being from the same person, they appear to have the same general thrust of conversation, right? And that's where people start asking, what is happening in Circleville? We're going to pause for a word from our sponsors, and we'll be back. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. 
Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, Podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 2424 24 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. Here's where it gets crazy. Uh, Ben, before we jump in, uh, the crazy thing to me is thinking about this story from Mary Gillespie's husband, Ron's perspective of like, when we say Mary started receiving letters, you have to imagine those are letters just ending up in a mailbox that the family, whoever in the family is going to, you know, take inside and then somebody's going to open. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's like, um, you imagine, you imagine a bomb being dropped on the whole household. Somebody saying, you know, accusing one of the family members of having, having an affair. That's a crazy intense thing to do, right. To just Mm -hmm. drop it on a family like that. Um, and then for, that person, like you said, to then begin writing messages directly to the husband. And we'll get into it, but they even start referring to the daughter, correct? Correct. Yes, sir. So it's just, it's mayhem in that house when these letters start showing up, at least psychologically, you can imagine. Oh, yes. Yeah. Divide and conquer, right? Uh, Harassment via the post is nothing particularly new by the 1970s as a matter of fact harassment via uh, post postal services continues today please do check out our uh, our earlier stories and strange news and listener mail segments about sending poop through the mail and, and uh, the laws about it are weird uh, people also send glitter bombs through the mail and do check out our upcoming episode on, on stuff. They don't want you to know about glitter. I can't believe we're doing it. It's a real thing. We've been uh, teasing that for a month now. Ben. I know we got to get to that one. Deliver. Yeah. We've got to, we got to come with the fire on that one. So uh, we know that this kind of stuff happens. And unfortunately, if you're listening today, you may have received um threatening anonymous messages in real life. The internet didn't create that. 
the internet just made it easier for people to do those sorts of things, right? So whomever is targeting this family in Circleville, they seem to have two things. They seem to have some sort of inside knowledge, unless they're absolutely trolling, and they seem to have a hell of a spiteful agenda. Like, like to your point, Matt, the your your spouse is getting these weird letters after you get these letters your kids are getting involved what do you do to whom do you turn eventually the gillespies share the letters with ron's sister karen and her husband a guy named paul this is karen and paul freshor Okay, so let's let's get the family straight here because this is kind of hard to keep in your mind. You've got Mary and Ron; those are the Gillespies, and then you've got Karen and Paul, and they're there. It's two different families, and but they are related because Ron and Karen are uh, brother and sister. Yes. Sorry, I had to yeah. do that like three times in my head while I was going through the research here, just to make sure I understood. Yeah, we Mary, Mary and Ron, Paul and Karen. Okay. <laughs> Mary, Ron, Paul, Karen. Yeah. Got it. Uh, so Mary at this point, when she's sharing these letters, she apparently has a couple of hunches or suspicions about the identity of the letter writer. And so she and her husband, Ron, send letters of their own. And they're uh, they're essentially saying, stop like cease and desist without a lawyer that's what they're saying and mary believed it was this person because it was a another bus driver remember she's a bus driver at the school where she's being accused of having an affair with the superintendent um she there was a fellow bus driver that mary said had made passes on at her and she had refused you know like kind of pushed him away she thought oh well maybe this guy is upset that's who they sent letters to to try to get him to stop Mm-hmm. And on August 19th, Ron doesn't get a letter. He gets a phone call. We don't know the substance of that conversation. We do know that he got this phone call while his spouse, Mary, was on a trip, I believe, in Florida with some friends. And whatever happened on that phone call, it causes him to take his firearm with him, according to the story, to tell the kids he's going to go speak with someone directly, and he drives away. And later that evening, his truck is found smashed into a tree. He did not survive the car accident. Uh, An investigation led by a character that we will introduce very shortly. The investigation into the accident and his death concluded that he had a blood alcohol level of 0.16. doesn't sound huge if you're talking regular percentages, but that's very, very high. Uh, here in the United States, the legal limit for driving with alcohol in your system is 0.02. So this guy, this according to the blood work, this guy is driving drunk, right? Yeah. Case closed. Yeah. And, well, I guess case closed, except for even if he was drunk, he did have a firearm with him. He did grab his own pistol on the way out the door after receiving this phone call. And that firearm uh, was discharged one time. There was one bullet missing, uh, but that bullet was never recovered. So it's unknown what he fired at, or maybe maybe he had fired previously, right? Maybe the gun was already missing one bullet when he got in the car. There's just no way to know. No way to know. Oh, there's one other. There's one other thing I want to add there. Uh, according, uh, we we talked about Paul already, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Oh my god, I'm gonna I'm gonna mess it up already. Mary and Ron, Paul and Karen. So uh, the Paul of Paul and Karen, on his blog that he's got, he states that it's known that during that phone call when Ron picked it up, he said he recognized the voice and he was going to go talk to 
that person. That's right. Yes. Yeah. No, super important point. Yes. Mm-hmm. So like it's as though the the actual it seems as though possibly the actual culprit of whoever was writing the the letters called Ron. He knew who that person was and was going to go put a stop to it or something because he did take his firearm. Uh, but he ended up getting killed or dying. However, dying. it went down. Yeah, I think we have to say dying. Uh, yep. Now, there's something interesting here. This is not ruled an accidental death. In the, in the ensuing vest investigation, local law enforcement headed by Pickaway County Sheriff Dwight Radcliffe rules Ron's death a suicide. Yes, let's repeat that name, Dwight Radcliffe, and he ruled it a suicide. Dwight Radcliffe also uh, goes on to be the longest serving sheriff in the United States in his time. Uh, he serves 12 consecutive terms as sheriff of this place, Pickaway County. Uh, that equals out to about 48 years. And, you know, Matt, uh, full disclosure for everybody, you and I work on some fiction shows together that, that you head up with uh, Alex Williams and Aaron Mankey and Nick Tikoski. And I Blumhouse Television. Blumhouse television. Yes. And I am, I am um, immensely fortunate to be able to be a, a hired gun for some of these stories. There's We're a, fortunate there, to have you. Okay. Oh God. All right. Okay. Uh, so, the, so here, so there's this thing that's been stuck in my head about the dangers of people serving in positions of power and being unaccountable. And one mm. of the only thing we can say about one of the stories we have coming up is that it involves J. Edgar Hoover. And just like the sheriff of Pickaway County, J. Edgar Hoover is in charge of his, you know, his roost for 48 years. It's strange to think of someone having almost half a century in power. And uh, you could, you know, there's a very solid argument that Hoover was unaccountable and dangerous as he ascended to power. And maybe that's making me biased with Sheriff Radcliffe, man. It just seems like a lot of, it seems like a long time for someone to be that powerful. Yeah. When you, when you have that kind of power, it doesn't always happen. Not everyone does this, but you can pull strings to clean situations up for your benefit, especially if you're in a powerful position that requires votes to yeah. either maintain that power or, you know, to get you more power. Um, it, it is, it is weird. I, I don't want to, gosh, I don't want to derail this conversation. Just bring, bring it up. Jay Edgar. Yeah. For, for that Zodiac show, I recently interviewed an author and this author has a new a new zodiac suspect okay and this this suspect tells a story to his daughter at one point because he was he was telling everybody and his including his daughter and his wife that he was doing special operations during uh the Korean War and he was like well liked and went to parties sometimes. And he tells them this story of one time he showed up at a party where J. Edgar was there. And uh -huh. J. Edgar showed up wearing a red sequined dress and gave it. him a kiss on the lips. Uh, but it's just a story. But <laughs> anyway. I also like the way you're characterizing this person. Uh, he was well-liked and he went to parties. So one yeah. time he was at this party. <laughs> <laughs> he may have also may have also been the Zodiac killer, but he may have also knows? been the Zodiac killer. Uh, man, I cannot wait. Uh, and, and I say this objectively. If you are interested in the Zodiac case, please do check out uh, Monster Zodiac. That is a Tenderfoot and Matt Frederick production, and it's well worth your time. Yeah. Uh, so uh, let's I'm get back to Circleville. I apologize. Dr. Gay for Hitler. The Dr. Gay Hitler. <laughs> He would approve. He's the one so, who did. <laughs> he would definitely approve of J. Edgar's red sequin dress, allegedly. Uh, all allegedly. Right. <laughs> allegedly. Okay. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Back on track. So, okay, this Radcliffe guy, sheriff for almost mm -hmm. half a century. We don't want to be unfair to the guy, right? Uh, and he has passed away. 
but we also can't be unfair to the facts. And the fact of the matter is that when someone has that much power for that long in a town of this size, again, uh, this is the county seat of Pickaway County, and this town has a little less than 14,000 residents. So when you are in that catbird seat for that amount of time, you ca- it is completely plausible that, for instance, you catch the mayor's son out raising hell, right? Doing doing something sketchy, and you let him off because you and you know now you have some juice on the mayor. That doesn't necessarily make you malevolent. You are just leveraging power to get more power later. So, well, it could be leveraging power, but it could also just be I'm going to protect that person so that they know next time I'm in some kind of compromising situation, they will, you know, step up for me, theoretically. In a jam. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so we're just, we're very conscious of that tendency. And without specifically attributing some kind of cover up at this point, we have to admit small town power is a real thing. So ordinarily this case, this tragic, car accident would be another small town tragedy you know it's heartbreaking it's terrible for the family but it's not necessarily conspiratorial until that is more locals begin receiving letters of their own oh yeah now it becomes like a mailing list situation everybody in town is on it and there's there's one anonymous sender with one message. Uh, well, actually, they have multiple messages, and they're all not good. Uh, they are the letters at this point are basically uh, doubling down on this message that was just being sent to that family. Mary Gillespie is having an affair with this other guy, Gordon Massey, and it's that's where it starts. But then it ends with the sheriff, the one we keep talking about here, Radcliffe. He is actually covering up all these aspects and it's thought, or I can't remember if they spell it out exactly in this series of letters, but the concept is that Radcliffe is covering up for the superintendent who was also, you know, a fellow powerful person within the town. Yeah, hundred percent. That's what people are thinking. And if we fast forward a bit, this superintendent, Gordon Massey, eventually does get divorced. He was a, Married man when these letters became, when they started going around Circleville. And Mary, we have to remember at this point, is widowed. Uh, her, her spouse has passed away. So eventually the widowed Mary Gillespie and the now divorced Gordon Massey do begin a romantic relationship. This is not... Um, a rumor, it's not conjecture, they cop to it. But their stance was always that they did not begin this relationship until after Ron died somehow in that, in, in that auto accident. Yeah. If you go to uh, Paul's website, again, that blog that Paul for sure created, he alleges that that affair was definitely happening. I think he even alleges that, remember that trip? that mm-hmm. Mary was supposed to be on the, the night Ron died. Right, to Florida he, with friends, yeah. He alleges that that trip in, involved Gordon Massey as well. It was with friends, but Gordon was there too. Uh, that's what he says. So, it's 1983 now. Mary begins receiving more letters, and the situation escalates past just mean messages in envelopes. Let's go to 3.30 p.m. It's February 7th, 1983. Mary is driving the school bus route that she always drives, and she sees a sign, like you you were setting up earlier, Matt, attached to a fence post. And the lettering of the sign, the message, is about her daughter. So she stops the bus pulls over and goes to grab this uh, inflammatory sign. Yeah. And she picks up the sign. So it's imagine a post and then a cardboard box of sorts on top of that 
post yeah. and then there's words written on it. She picks up the box and the post. Right. Yeah. And you know, the, um, this might sound weird when we're describing it. So by way of comparison, if you were ever driving in a neighborhood or walking through someplace and you see for sale signs on homes, then they'll often have a little box attached to the signpost where, you know, there's like a pamphlet or something with information mm-hmm. about the house or the realtor or whatever. And, uh, this is kind of similar, but it's very, very bootleg. Uh, yeah. Obviously, she's freaked out. She's been harassed for years at this point. Uh, she pulls the sign up. and She just puts it on her bus, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. And it's 3.30 p.m. Uh, that's like I got kids on the bus time. Uh, <laughs> yes. yeah, and is. she picks this sign up, just puts it on the bus and goes about her business. And because this is a small town, of course, we must already know that the kids are going to mention this when they get home. That's that's going to be the the talk of school for at least a, a day or so. So um, here's the thing: this is not a, a realtor sign. This is not a for sale sign. This is meant to be a trap. Yeah, a booby trap. Okay, so let's, I guess we can describe it this way. The signage is written on the front of that box, right? And it was, or at least it appears as though the perpetrator, the person who created it, believed that when Mary saw it, she would just grab at the sign, the part that said the bad things, and just rip it up. Like, just grab it off and take it. Uh, because inside that box, there was a pistol pointed uh, outwards. Like, <laughs> if somebody was reading the sign and they pulled it off, the gun would have been pointed at them. My dogs are really excited about this part. I'm sorry. I'm going to calm them down in a second after I stop talking. But attached to that gun, to the trigger of that gun, was a piece of twine that went down so that if you would have ripped that box off, Thank goodness she just ripped the whole thing. Yeah, the idea was pulling the twine would pull the trigger, would fire the gun, would shoot the person who uh, appears to be, uh, the target appears to be Mary, the school bus driver, because this is purposefully posted on her route. You know what I mean? So honestly, the trap is amateur work. Uh, but you start to ask questions again. Why were the fin- why were there not fingerprints on the gun? Uh, where's the serial number? You know the basic stuff. Mm-hmm. Mary turns this insidious contraption over to law enforcement. They look at the firearm and they say someone has tried, in a super not great way, to erase the serial number to file it off, and the culprit is unsuccessful police are able to dig in and make out that serial number. They find it, which means they can trace the gun and they match it to another guy in town, Mary's former brother-in-law, Paul Freshore. Oh, we should say at this point, uh, Paul of Paul and Karen, Mm -hmm. (laughs) they, they have divorced. They're no longer together. They split up. Uh, and it should be noted that Paul states it's because he discovered his wife was having an affair and he got, that's why he initiated the divorce. He hired a private investigator and then divorced. Uh, interesting, right? Interesting, right? Yeah. And, uh, so Sheriff Radcliffe does, does the right thing. What you should do in that situation goes to Paul and says, Hey, is this your gun? And Paul, Paul says, whoa, hey, I I do have a gun, but I have it basically packed away in my garage. I don't ever touch it. I haven't checked on it in years. Uh, I didn't know it was missing until you told me, Sheriff. That's a not unplausible explanation. A lot of people have stuff that they forget in their house. And is that responsible firearm usage? Absolutely not you kind of want to be aware of items like that in your home. Especially when, like Paul, you have you have children. Right. Yeah, even more so. Uh, and 
Radcliffe is not convinced, by the way. He says, okay, all right, take this handwriting test because the police by this point, the sheriff's department, they have photocopies. They probably have, they have the originals of these letters and you can go to, uh, you can go online and see screenshots of these letters. And so the main thing, the main thing to take away from this is that those letters are handwritten. So the sheriff asked Paul to copy as close as he can the handwriting of some of these anonymous letters targeting the Gillespie family. And in the sheriff's opinion, this is close enough to seal the deal. Looking at Paul's handwriting and looking at the handwriting of the anonymous letters, they like him for it. They think it's close enough. Uh, and the gun and the handwriting samples are the primary pieces of evidence when Paul Freshore goes to court on charges of attempted murder. Uh, there's another thing about his alibi that's like sort of a tertiary piece of evidence. Someone who looks like him is seen uh, at a time where, you know, it doesn't 100% look like he is where he said he was. So that's sketchy. Well, because he, he took off work the day right. that the box was found. He took off work. I mean, if you need time to set something up like that and then go plant it somewhere, it would make sense. You can see why law enforcement would like him. As you said, he looks good for it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, regardless of where you stand vis-a-vis -vis a cover up of some sort at this point law enforcement is looking like they're taking the right steps at least the right investigative steps the jury agrees uh paul for sure is found guilty sheriff radcliffe tells the press that uh yeah this guy paul confessed to writing somewhere between 40 to 50 threatening letters there's only one problem there's no record of that confession. And Paul himself says he never said anything like that. Uh, it just gets curiouser and curiouser, and there are more complications on the way, but we have to pause for a word from our sponsor. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop. Podcast producer? Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With their easy to use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? 
Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. And we've returned. So there are complications with the case. Paul Freshwater's fingerprints are nowhere on the gun. Fingerprints are not on the booby trap. Fingerprints are not on the letters. They search his house because, of course, that's, you know, the correct step to take. And they find no additional corroborating evidence. There's no, you know, like you look in the uh, garage, there's nothing to indicate somebody built a weird booby trap that doesn't work. Uh, and <laughs> you you also don't see ammunition. You don't see, like, you know, uh, 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 an obsessively filled out notebook with revenge schemes and paranoid thoughts. None of that. Looks like a normal house. It does. But you do have to imagine, like, this guy is really close to them. He would know where they live. He would know what the, you know, what Ron's vehicle looks like. There's all these other pieces of circumstantial evidence and considerations that are there. So, you know, you just, it becomes so complicated, I think, when you're thinking about this. I've got no evidence that's matching to this guy, but man, it feels right. Um, I'm just trying to take the perspective of law enforcement if we're going to imagine they're objective observers, right? So then let's get into the court where Mary Gillespie is testifying specifically about the divorce of Paul and Karen. Remember, they got a divorce, the other affair thing. Uh, She states that Karen confided in her, in Mary, that she believed Paul might have been the author of those letters. Uh. Like she, she comes out and she says, I think it might've been him, but you have to remember that those two went through a contentious divorce. So then you have to take, you have to think, well, (laughs) is Karen, you know, is Karen putting spin on what she's saying or is, you know, Paul actually doing this? It's, you know what it is? There's no, I feel like in this story, Ben, there's no reliable narrator. There's no uh person that I can trust what's happening because even the sheriff I don't trust. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe I was a little unfair to him, but 48 years is a long time. <laughs> so no, 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 you're right. <laughs> and well you should see what Paul for sure has to say about the sheriff. Oh yeah. And, and, oh, no, in his yeah, letters he he writes to the FBI. Woo. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Paul for sure is is um or was for the rest of his life, adamant that he did not, he was not guilty of the crime of which he was convicted. Uh, he was convicted. Uh, I guess we should make the the historical note there in the in the courtroom when his ex wife says, "I think he might have been the author." Paul's team says, uh, "If this is true, why didn't you bring it up during our acrimonious divorce?" Mm-hmm. Good question. Because he he got custody of the children. Right. A, the writer of those letters probably wouldn't have gotten custody of the children, I'm assuming. Right. Yeah, that would have been a pretty significant intervening variable. So it's a valid point. Honestly, we can agree to that. But still, again, he is convicted. He is sentenced to 7 to 25 years behind bars for attempted murder insisting upon his innocence the entirety of the time he's um he's sent up to lima ohio he's he's imprisoned incarcerated in lima ohio and these letters start coming out but they're not from lima ohio 
there's still this circle, there's still like this mysterious Circleville letter writer troll, and uh, they're <laughs> they're not just sending letters to Circleville now. They're sending them all around, and the letters are still postmarked from Columbus. And Columbus is 90 miles away from Lima, 90 miles or so as the crow flies. That's a feat, right? That, the yeah. guy gets in jail and he can still send these letters from 90 miles mm-hmm. away? Yeah, exactly. You think he'd be better at filing off a serial number, huh? So <laughs> Sheriff Radcliffe is convinced. He's like, don't talk to me about time and distance and how, you know, crows fly and all that malarkey. This guy is somehow masturbating an evil letter writing campaign from prison. Put him in isolation, put him in solitary and they do it. And he's got, he's constantly monitored. He's got no access to any kind of writing materials, the works. There is physically not a way that he could write and send a letter himself but the letters keep coming that's one of the weirdest parts <laughs> yep uh and it's it's funny so uh for sure's in prison he gets a parole hearing right mm-hmm. and yeah one of the major reasonings behind denying him parole was that look you're in here but you're still sending all these letters like what are you doing man don't you want parole stop sending the letters <laughs> yeah it's it stinks it's a terrible situation uh and after he gets denied parole he receives a letter that is essentially dancing on his grave and mocking him it's a real twist of the knife well it's it even talks about how we we said we told you that we were gonna set you up or whatever i mean it's it's so strange like we talked we told you we were gonna set you up you'll never get out of prison who are these people who is this person yeah people person right is it plural is it singular uh we're gonna find out well we're we're gonna see some good guesses in may of 1994 Paul for sure is old. And this is largely thanks to an astonishing journalist named Martin Yant. Uh, Martin Yant brings the story to the public eye. The Circleville saga is featured on an episode of a TV show called Unsolved Mysteries, which uh, many of us in the audience remember, know, and love. And then it gets weirder, Matt. There, the the unsolved mysteries TV production team is working on this episode, and it's not the whole show. If you remember unsolved mysteries, it's an anthology series, so episodes don't necessarily connect. It's a new thing every Thursday at nine or whatever. So they're working on this episode, and then they get a letter. They get a postcard. That says, oh, oh um, you want to do a sinister voice? I feel like this needs a good sinister voice. Forget Circleville, Ohio. Do nothing to hurt Sheriff Radcliffe. If you come to Ohio, you El Sickos will pay. El Sickos. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, spelled with spelled yeah. with E-L, like uh, in Espanol. Yeah. <laughs> El Sickos. And it's uh, signed the Circleville writer, or... I think Circleville writer, maybe? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just so. And uh, now we've got an even stranger situation. Look, whomever is opening the mail for Unsolved Mysteries, that hapless production assistant, that's a weird That's a weird day, right? They probably got a lot of strange mail on Unsolved Mysteries. Anyway. This is something we should point out, too. And this is according to Paul Forshore's website. According to him, many of these letters contained arsenic within them, within the envelopes. Right. Yes. Yeah. But I, I haven't seen that written in a lot of places, so I don't, I don't know the truth there, like if that's real or not. All, all I've seen is the um, claim on his own blog. Okay. Like I, hmm. I, I haven't. I mean, that's not to say there may not be corroborating sources there, but I haven't seen like a police report. That says, uh, yeah, there was I, our I didn't either. But if there is, please send it to us, folks. 
Uh, so well, if there is, I'm just thinking about the team opening the letters. Like, could be dangerous, I guess. No, that's yeah, that's a really good point. Well, also, they're getting this one is a postcard, so there's not an envelope to contain. Mm. I guess they could have like rubbed arsenic on it. I don't know. I don't don't mm. send people arsenic in the mail. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that that's good. That's really good. Is I that like a hot that. take for us? No, I think that's okay. It's okay? Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think we're right. okay. Hopefully that's something we can all agree on. Stop sending arsenic in the mail. <sighs> and be careful about the poop. Anyway, Dr. Gay Hitler. At this point, uh, Paul for sure reaches out to the FBI, as you mentioned earlier, Matt, and he is asking the FBI to investigate that death of Ron Gillespie all those years ago. And he wants to clear his name, but he's also again saying, look, I physically could not have written these letters, right? Not Mm -hmm. all of them. I provably could not have been writing all of them. And he is ultimately unsuccessful in that no other author of these letters has been accused in a court of law, even now in 2022. And so Paul for sure, though he does die a free man, he dies and he loses time that he will never get back. He passes away in 2012, telling the world that he is innocent. And so the town gossip, again, small town rules, it's reaching a boiling point. If it wasn't Paul sending these letters, asked the locals, then who could it be? And to this day, that answer remains officially unclear. But our journalist, Martin Yant, I think he makes a a pretty persuasive argument for multiple letter writers. Yeah, I, I mean, I think so too. I, I think I think it makes sense. Um, it's just tough because it's basically accusing multiple people of being working together on this scheme, right? One of the people that really surprised me, but the more I thought about it, the more I was like, oh, I guess that's plausible, was... Gordon Massey, the guy who was allegedly having an affair with Mary, uh, the person that Yant is making in a case for here is Gordon Massey's son, mm-hmm. who, you know, if you if you play it out in your mind, maybe the son found out that his dad was having an affair and he wanted to stop it. So he's writing letters to try and stop it. Mm-hmm. Um, that That logically makes sense, right? But there's not much you can stack up as far as evidence goes to try and prove that. Yeah, we have to be careful not to treat it as though we're writing a soap opera. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that, that's definitely. But it feels like a soap opera. <laughs> it definitely does feel like one. Yes, it very much does. Uh, it's all about relationships. Uh, so this argument alleges claims that there are three different writers. Um, it is definitely possible for groups of people to anonymously conduct uh, these kind of criminal conspiracies, right? Like uh, I always this this really makes me think of the earlier Japanese case, the monster with twenty one faces. Remember that one? Never mm-hmm. caught. They're never going to be caught. They got away. <laughs> and, uh, so, so it, it is possible, and. Do check out Martin Yant's work. He makes he makes a compelling argument, but again, there are no official conclusions. Uh, to this day, the police and law enforcement maintain that Paul Freshor was the Circleville writer. Uh, like we said, he kept a blog until he passed. You can read it online today. All of this together means that yes. A conspiracy of some sort occurred. There is stuff they don't want you to know. And it is possible, not proven, but possible that the true architect of the Circleville letters escaped justice and might be alive today, right now, listening to this show. Don't write to us. (laughs) 
please don't. <laughs> please don't write to us. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, no, thank you. <laughs> so I, I don't know. That's, I mean, that's where we leave it. And there, there, uh, there's so much more to this story. You know, uh, there have been a lot of, a lot of compelling investigations. Forty-eight hours did a show or an episode on this. Um, the unsolved mysteries episode is a, is a good primer, but I think it skips over some stuff. There's an FBI profiler, yeah, uh, pretty awesome FBI profiler that looked at the case. Mary Ellen O'Toole. She looked at them, and I forget exactly what she was saying about it, but um, she was just mentioning how difficult it would be to actually to physically write and send letters while in prison if you are specifically in custody the way that Paul was in custody, right? So, like, you 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 have to assume, I think, that there is at least one other person that was writing the letters, whether or not Paul was at the heart of this or involved in any way. Yeah, because, again, there's that timeline discrepancy, right? Mm-hmm. There is a time wherein... This man could physically not have sent letters. He couldn't have written them and sent them. There was something weird, though, Ben. Uh, oh, God. We have so many sources. Just full disclosure, everybody. So Ooh. many sources for this episode. Yeah. There's one piece of writing in here that mentions Paul's handprints uh, were or some kind of hand or fingerprint of his was found on one of the letters that was sent while he was in prison. So there was a, there were at least a few, one or two examples oh, where his right. fingerprints were found on the no, letters. Right. Yeah. So like, what does that mean? What did he touch paper that then got sent out that was carefully handled by somebody else? Or did he actually write one or two of the letters? I, I it's just confounding because you can't prove any of it. Well, then also there's the theory that he may have had someone even without his knowledge writing letters for him as like a copycat crime to help him get out of incarceration. That's the thing because there's anonymity here. um, Any number of explanations may be plausible, uh, but again, um, people just aren't happy with the official conclusion. And we want to hear your thoughts, folks. Let us know uh, what do you think the truth is. Do you think one man wrote these letters and was rightly convicted? Do you think that there were more people at play? And if so, do you think they are alive and free today? We can't wait to hear your thoughts. Try to be easy to find online, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all the hits. Uh, If you don't sip the social meads, if you prefer to read a book, we have a book coming out, uh, audiobook form as well. You pre-order now, stuffyoushouldreadbooks.com. Art by the one and only Nick Turbo Benson. Uh, You can also, if you would like to just hop on the horn, you can give us a phone call. Yes, our number is one eight three three stdwytk When you call in, it's a voicemail. Give yourself an AKA or a moniker of some sort so we remember you next time you call in. Uh, you've got three minutes. Say whatever you'd like. Please do include whether or not you give us permission to use your name and voice in our episodes. If you've got more to say than can fit in that three-minute voicemail, then why not send us instead a good old-fashioned email? We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals. Your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com.